Hello, and welcome to BIA's Leading Local Insights podcast, where we provide a deeper look into BIA's current insights and assessments of local media, data, and technology. I'm Nicole Ovedia, Vice President, Forecasting and Analysis at BIA Advisory Services. I'm joined for this episode by my co-interviewer, Mitch Oscar, who is Director of Advanced Advertising Strategies at USIM. Hi, Mitch. How's it going? Good. How are you? Uh, Good. Happy day after July 4th, or whenever you're listening to this podcast. Our special guest today is Kyle Roberts, CEO of Ad Impact. Kyle has been active in politics and media buying since 1992. Ad Impact, founded in 2014, has become the leading media intelligence company in American politics. Every day, Ad Impact tracks ad spending and creative for more than 6,000 campaigns, and recently, they announced ad detection on streaming devices. Ad Impact's intelligence data is used by Meet the Press, CNN, The New York Times, and The Wall Street Journal, as well as by Kyle's favorite data collaborator, BIA. Additionally, Kyle is CEO of Smart Media Group, which is one of the top GOP media buying firms with a who's who's list of clients, including John McCain and Marco Rubio. Kyle, thank you so much for being with us today. Good morning, Nicole. I'm very happy to be here. Awesome. Um, Let's dive right into the conversation. Um, As I noted in the introduction, you've been active in both politics and media buying since 1992. How were you able to have these two interests intersect and guide your career evolution to where it is now as CEO of both Ad Impact and the Smart Media Group? Um, you know, that's an interesting question. So what has happened over time, you know, running an agency for as many years as I have, you know, I started Smart Media back in 2005 and seeing how much money has come into politics and um, how busy the space is. There were, there were a few things that happened that I noticed, again, in the agency world before I had started Ad Impact. One, there is a tremendous amount of information coming through to campaigns, but because campaigns have to make decisions so quickly, there is very little time to process, interpret, and then take action on the data. I really noticed that gap, I would say, in... Well, actually, it really happened when I was on the McCain campaign in 2008. That's when I really saw that that this gap existed. And it was about in 2010 when I really started to experiment on building out um, databases, detection tools, data collection, and then data visualization. Do all that back-end work as much as possible so that uh, you can provide front-end actionable information. Really started, I would say, through my experience on the agency side, um, and, and and we began to then flow that into a data collection piece. And I would say late late 2010, we really started. And then by 2014, we had a pretty much a full-fledged company that we were ready to launch, which became Ad Impact. From there, it became not only just spending, but then ad detection. We also collect rate data. We also collect all the FEC data. So we built out these multiple data sets. Right now, here you are in 2022, many years later, and it's like, okay, how do we stitch all this stuff together to come up with really actionable insights? And that's a great thing because it just means that the future is so bright with all that information, right? You have so many opportunities there to generate ideas and to generate new products and to really solve problems in the marketplace. Uh, That's really interesting. So you are saying, if I'm understanding correctly, as someone who was at an agency and helping clients to uh, execute campaigns, 
you needed better data and better information and it wasn't available to you, I, I'm assuming. And so you went out there and founded the company that is giving you the better insight and information and intelligence and um, visualization and all those things that Ad Impact does now because there was just a gap and you needed that in order to be better on the agency side. Is, is that an accurate representation? What it was, was there was there was no shortage of data, right? I mean, I was working on McCain. We were tracking at that time, uh, candidate or Senator Obama was running for president. Remember, that was a $300 million or, yeah, I think he spent about $300 million. This was back in 2000 and, 2008, 2007, 2008. Um, and, okay, so we're, we're I, I can just remember building enormous Excel files spending hours and hours on it and then having to go report to the campaign and really not be able to tell them anything because there's so much I've just collected that I can't even make sense of it, right? It wasn't a shortage of data. It was really this ability to actually quickly collect it, make sense of it, and give good advice. That that last piece didn't exist. You know, and then how do you pair that with polling data? How do you pair it with the trending you're seeing on ballot? How do you when you're running for president, I mean, you're, you're active at that time it was probably seven or eight competitive states. It's much smaller now, um, but it was a wider. So it's a very tricky thing to put all that together and to walk into the room and say, yeah, this is what we think this means right now. This is what we need to do. And it was that last piece that was really, really missing. And so that's when I started to think about, OK, we, we need to come up with much better methods of collecting just spending data. Just how much money was spent on this broadcast station or this cable system or this radio station at that time? Well, addressable was kind of just starting on satellite. Probably know that, Mitch. Uh, but it wasn't still huge then. Um, but still, right, how much and, and what does that really mean against what we're seeing in terms of other data points? Like that, putting that together was really, really hard. And so I really set out to try to solve that 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 problem in the industry. So can you talk a little bit more about the difference between the two companies um, and their services and how their expertise might overlap, um, but also be different from each other? Um, it sounds like collectively it creates this holistic view of the political landscape and execution of a political campaign for your clients. But how do you make the distinction between the two companies? And if so, where where does one service begin and one service end? They're totally separate. They are totally separate. Ad Impact really is a is a standalone media intelligence data martech company. That's really what it is. That's what, so. Okay. Initially, now we're starting. If you think about it, all right. So we're we're starting to collect all the spending, right? We can see now all the political activity, of course, that's happening across every all 208 or 210 DMAs. I'm never sure which one it is, but I'll say both numbers to cover myself. But so we're seeing all that, right? And then and then in about 20. 15, we start to build out our ad detection system. Now we're going to track all the creative. Um, that that has now, so we've started to do that. Ad Impact started to do that in 16. But that has led to, not only do we track creative in the political space, we track creative across every single advertising vertical right now. Um, and we're doing that, you know, initially we had started with a linear tool where we were just tracking all linear broadcasts, but now we've, we've expanded that. Um, beyond linear into CTV, streaming, uh, local cable, and then um, basically what's left over addressable that you see in, in, the, in the data set. There's a kind of a fourth bucket there. Uh, so we now have that ability. So that has gone way beyond all the needs of, 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 of my agency, way beyond, right? So that can, 
that impact now stands alone, has its own separate client base, its own separate clients, needs, customer service, et cetera. It's, it's totally different. Interesting. And you mentioned CTV, which I definitely want to dig into a little bit more. But before we even do that, I I want to talk about political because I think the bulk of our listeners are here listening for your expertise, especially on 2022 and what's going on in the political landscape um, in the in terms of local ad spending. So BIA, our analysis, we're expecting 2022 political spending to be off the charts um, for the mid for the upcoming midterm elections. So we're forecasting midterm spending to be just shy of a billion dollars for all of 2022, which is, I'm sorry, we're we're expecting our 2022 political forecast to be only $1 billion shy of what the presidential election year was in 2020. So that's about 75% of what we saw in a presidential election. We're now forecasting for a midterm, which is Huge. Um, and I think anybody who follows this and follows current events, uh, they probably have good guesses as to why. Um, but I'm curious about two things from you. How did we get here and how much longer do you expect this growth and this amount of spending on political ads to continue to grow on and on and on? Can you share your perspective? Um, go all the way back to when you launched Smart Media back in uh, 2005 and everywhere you've everything you've seen from then until now and what you expect for this year and beyond so there's different slices to that one you know you have this first piece of mccain feingold which you know came out of the enron scandal when that all happened right the president wanted to pass some kind of campaign finance reform mccain feingold was sitting there okay let's push this thing through and we're going to eliminate soft money in politics that was the idea of it and that will reduce the amount of You know, activity, political activity, which with, you know, that was, I think, the intention of the legislation. It was to create more accountability and 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 reduce the amount of dollars, unregulated dollars that was coming coming into politics. And then you had Citizens United, which I think was around 2010, which allowed really the emergence of super PACs. So now you can have this outside money um, sort of parallel to the parties, parallel to the candidates. Um, that is pretty much unlimited, right? And so you have those two major decisions um, um, were, you know, legally kind of set the framework for where we are now. Uh, well, I'm sorry, one was a piece of legislation, the other one was a court decision, but it, it set the framework for where we are now. They did have an impact on where we are. The other thing I would say is with the growth of the internet, and the democratization of data and the democratization of just communication, right? That's really what Google has done. Uh, I shouldn't say Google in specific, but Facebook and Google campaigns now can communicate instantly at a very granular level more than they ever have before. The result of that really has been fundraising. As we sit here today and I look at like, well, just I look two years ago and I look at the major committees. Have they increased their amount of fundraising based on their FEC reports? The answer is yes. It's been increased by 40%. How about their cash on hand? You know, fundraising is revenue. Cash on hand is net. Well, has their cash on hand has their cash on hand gone up over the last two years? Yeah, it's gone up 39%. So you're seeing huge increases. And a lot of this is low dollar donation. This is all happening through email. It's happening through social media, and these audiences and these segments are getting created, and they're 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 revenue bases now for for not only campaigns but for political parties and also for outside groups. 
This is new. This didn't happen back in 2005. You just didn't see this kind of activity. You saw back in 2005, 2004, when President Bush was running, oh, we're going to do a a digital buy on Vanity Fair or, uh, you know, we're going to we're going to run some video ads. You know, that was like innovative at the time. But this email marketing that's happening now to the scale that it's happening is is big. And then I think the other fact within that is that that's still a pretty small untapped universe, meaning low dollar donation, five and ten dollars that people give monthly. It's still a largely untapped universe. And so there's a much mm. that we haven't reached the ceiling. Okay, so you got the legal framework and then you have this financial piece and then you have the political situation itself where the country is very divided. And so um, uh, the stakes are very high. And, you know, um, not only we talk about these midterm elections, right? Oh, well, definitely um, how it has changed is. Yes, the incumbent president would lose seats in the House in his first term, right? His or her first term always would happen. But the dynamic now is a little different because it's not only is the incumbent president losing seats, but the incumbent, the, the part that the the, the, uh, the power structure is flipping. That really happened since 1994. You go back to 1934, right? The the trend is that the the, the president in, in office, right, loses seats. It's an average of about 30. But but the parties didn't flip. Now the power is flipping. And so that is a much bigger dynamic. Right. The stakes are higher. These these elections mean more, more investment in them in order to control. Uh, you know, you're looking at a 50 50 Senate right now. You have a vice president who has taught who has cast more time votes than any vice president in history. We're sitting on that mm-hmm. statistic today again. So you got this legal framework, you have the financial piece, and then you have the divided politics. It, it all means that everyone wants to have some kind of stake in who wins an election. Mm-hmm. And because of that, you need to raise more money to do that. Um, and then we're talking today about $9 billion spent. We think there'll be $9 billion spent on paid media. That's just paid media. That's just broadcast television, cable, radio, satellite, and digital. We're not even talking about grassroots. We're not talking about mail. We're not talking about phones. We're not talking about any of that stuff. There's billions and billions of more there that we don't even know about or see or write predictions on. So it's a very large business. It's it's uh, no question about it. Back in, you know, um, how much was the presidential back in 16? It wasn't. I mean, I think it was it didn't even hit a billion dollars in presidential spend. And then in 2020, it hit three billion. Just that one race alone. It was $3 billion traded hands over who was going to be the next president. And when you really look at this, again, to talk about this divided and very close electorate, you look at the states that Biden carried and then how many votes he won by. It was only 250,000 votes, even though Trump lost in the Electoral College. It was still a very close election. We saw the same thing. Trump lost in 16, lost the popular vote, won the Electoral College. But again, that was very slim, too, in terms of raw votes. One of the things you said that really piqued my interest was that you think the micro donations or for lack of a better term that let's call them the smaller uh, denominations or donations, dollars, there's still a lot more potential there. So what makes you say that? What leads you in that direction and how large can that get in your mind? Um, You know, it can get very large when you just look at some of the statistics that are out there now. You know, take, for instance, a candidate like um, Jamie Harrison running for the Senate in South Carolina in in um, 
2020. He spent, you know, um, he, he was north of 50 million dollars uh, in a South Carolina Senate race. And, and you go look at his fundraising. It wasn't two or three people writing checks. It was thousands and thousands of people giving low dollar donations. So you see this trend, you know, Beto O'Rourke, you see that. Uh, may, may, well, you probably see it, too, in, in Texas. This time. He, he, the fact that he's running for the third time, you get some fatigue among the donors. But but in his first race and second race, yes, they were. it was a huge amount of low dollar donations. So you have this one candidate in, in, a, in a tight geographic area can go to all 50 states. And so this dynamic does exist. Um, and I, I want to say that I forget what the stat was, but it's. I think less than 10% of the country right now is giving low dollar donations. So there's a big, there's a lot of runway there. Hmm. Very interesting. So, and in your opinion, you don't think that um, the people most likely to give low dollar donations already have and already are backing and, you know, the other 90%, I mean, what percent of Americans actually vote in an election are, are you, is it your opinion that more people would give donations than actually vote or, uh, you know, I mean, when you're saying only 10% are giving small donations, what percent do you think would give small donations? Well, you know, 2020, you're, you had the highest turnout. Uh, I want to say it was about 62% of the country participated um, in the presidential election. It was, and, and, uh, our current president, I, I think he received 81 million votes. He, he received that individual as he's risked more people cast a vote for him than any person on the on the planet. Um, uh, so you have you you have very high participation that's going on when you look at turnout in elections. You know, turnout sometimes can be driven by different things. Uh, feeling, you know, there's an emotional aspect to it of feeling if you're going to win or you're not going to win. And that can drive uh, turnout numbers. But um, but overall, you're, you are seeing um, high turnout across the country. And, and you know, there's a correlation. If you're going to give a donation to a candidate, you're likely you're very likely to vote. And you're very likely, of course, to vote for the person you donated to. It wouldn't make any sense to donate to your opponent. Right. Um, so, you know, but that. My point is that there's still room to grow on uh, mm-hmm. how big that grows and how does it get to 15 percent or 20 percent? I don't know the truth, but there's a lot of room to certainly grow beyond 10 percent, I would think. Absolutely. Um, I agree. And um, let's switch a little bit and talk more about CTV, which you sure. had mentioned before. So, you know, let's talk about tracking. Um, BIA is forecasting that political spending on CTV is going to be up significantly, well over 50% compared to um, last election cycle. So it sounds like you're seeing similar um, trends on your side. Are political advertisers demanding more timely, accurate cross-platform analysis? Is that why money is moving towards CTV? Um, If so, why? And what do you think are the other trends in political advertising that are just starting to get moving that we should have our eyes on as well well certainly you know this is very interesting so the ctv thing we our prediction at impact is that it'll be about a 1.4 billion dollar space got it um i don't know what you what bia is predicting like the space will be overall is it a 30 billion dollar space for local i'm not sure how you guys are looking at that but we think it'll be about a $1.4 billion space. We're tracking it this cycle. We did not track it last cycle. 
but you know, here it is a new emerging technology and already it'll, it'll like enter the segment. It'll enter the, the, the paid media segment at, at over a billion dollars. It's incredible. Um, so what do you think is driving people towards, or, you know, users of that kind of advertising? What is, what's attracting sure. them to CTV? So for political, well, one, the, the impression base is growing. Political campaigns, there's, so I, I talked earlier just about, you know, how much is in data. I mean, there's a, an enormous amount that's invested by groups to build a very accurate voter file and then model on that voter file. And then if you can take that voter file data, then you can do a match with a CTV publisher or with a, a DMP or a DSP. And now I can say, well, here's this audience that I want to reach. Here's the likelihood of who they're going to uh, of, of them voting. Uh, we can run on a scale. And then, well, now if I can if I can hit 20 or 30 percent of that audience with my message, you know, I increase hopefully my likelihood to influence the outcome of the election and win. And CTV allows me to do that, and I can run ads on a big screen, which is what I really like in politics. Running ads on on, on small mobile devices it doesn't seem to be, from a persuasion perspective, does not seem to be terribly effective. But on a larger screen, it just seems to be more effective. So if I can do that with connected TV, I'm going to put additional investment there. You know, with broadcast, you are seeing um, – um, you know, you're not just seeing the the ratings that we have seen in the past, right? Where there's a, there's certainly erosion. Why? Because, um, you know, COVID did have an effect on viewing habits. It it it, it did force an evolution of viewing habits more acutely than it, it probably had it not happened, had the pandemic not happened. Meaning, it pushed people more over to streaming and connected device TV, made them more comfortable with it. We saw that in For sure. a lot of the, you know, so. That trend happened. And, you know, if if your intention is to reach all these different audiences in politics and you can't and you don't have the assurances that they're there on 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 linear, well, then you're definitely going to evolve. And if you can do first party data match, which campaigns are very, very comfortable with, um, that's only going to accelerate that evolution. That's clear enough. Yeah, it's I mean, it's amazing and it's fascinating. And I agree with you. Um, so what else maybe that our audience isn't thinking about? What do you think is the next great horizon, the next great thing coming to political advertising um, specifically or in, in general, the, the next evolution that you see um, in, in terms of growth of digital spending or not necessarily digital, but most likely it'll be a digital platform? So, you know, this year it's definitely going to be streaming and CTV. There's just no question about it. Um, and then it, it really becomes, you know, how I, I think I think after the election, a lot of people are going to want to look back and say, well, really, what was effective? How effective was broadcast? How effective was local cable? And then how did it stack up against CTV? It's hard to know when you're you know, you're you're pretty much executing these campaigns in real time. It's very hard to know which one of these mediums is having the most impact it really is i think that's going to be uh, a lesson that people are going to want to know what what really was most effective for me and, and where is the most efficient way to concentrate my dollars campaigns are always thinking about that and you know this year there's a huge investment in ctv but it's it's still unknown whether or not it will be effective 
because again, you know, you're working off a GRP basis uh, from Nielsen, right, to to run your 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 linear buys, and then you're really just working off impressions on CTV buys against segmented audiences. It's not easy to put all that together and say, oh yeah, I put this much on the target. It's not. It's it's the post analysis that's really going to give you the indicators for that. Uh, and I think that's going to really determine what the next steps are for 2024 and 2026 and beyond. And uh, this also makes me start to think about, I, I mean, everything you're saying about CTV and OTT makes sense and that, you know, it, it's trackable and it gives us the best knowledge. Um, but I'm also remembering back to earlier in our conversation, you talked about grassroots and that leads me to think of social media. Um this is, I, I feel like it's a love-hate relationship between political and political spending and social media. You know, I mean, there's a lot of positives, a lot of negatives. There's a lot of uh, motivating, uh, if you will. But, um, of course, the questions around trust um, and and accountability, if you will, in, in monitoring the messages that are out there on social media. So can you talk a little bit more? Uh, is there potential for social media for political spending? Is it something that you just can't not do? Talk to me about your feelings about social media and ad spending and political and and how those can all work in concert uh, in a positive way. Well, the last part's the tough one. Um, Because, you know, it's a very, uh, it's a very, um, you know, it's the environment on social media is quite hot, uh, to to say the least. It's, it's, uh, it's a highly partisan environment. And it's, um, you know, but that content on social media is all generated by partisans. It's not really campaigns themselves are trying to put message in front of people and change minds. Right. And, and, and collect votes. Difficult to do that on social media platforms when you have just so much engagement among the highly partisan because they're already decided. Those platforms, when we look at. Uh, so we did a study after 2020. Um, Facebook, we we could we could document about a billion dollars that was spent on Facebook in 2020. And I want to say 70 percent of that money, of that billion, 700 million, was spent really just on fundraising. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. other 30 percent was on what we call either persuasion messaging or get out the vote messaging. Mm-hmm. Uh, that platform, it seems like campaigns leverage that platform uh, more because when the partisans are there, right, it's it's easy to get a donation from someone who's just really charged up about their person or their party. Uh, but persuading them, it's much more difficult to do because they've really already decided these these are like, you know, on a scale of one to five, five being the most extreme. These people are tens. So right. it's not a great persuasion environment. You flip over to Google which, you know, I, I think they were roughly 700 million, but a good portion of that was on YouTube. Now, you can build audiences there, you know, uh, and you can persuade people on YouTube because right, that's a much larger video based platform um, where you don't have that heavy, heavy partisan audience. It's really interesting. Um, just thinking about the separation of social versus other digital platforms being more of a donation versus persuasion. Yeah. Um, it might be about the target of the message and, and the, the person you're trying to reach and what action you want them to take. It's not necessarily go and vote. It might be, 
Um, please donate more money so I can convince others. You have already been convinced, but I need to convince others to vote in a like uh, in a likewise way. Um, and this is where companies like like WinRed and ActBlue have done, you know, fantastic mm-hmm. jobs at figuring out uh, how to quickly collect and report uh, campaign contributions, and then again share that information across multiple platforms, multiple campaigns, candidates, so they can also go build their donor bases. You know, there's a lot of innovation in politics, and that's something we didn't talk about too. Is mm-hmm. the, the the space? You know, it's nine billion in spending, and, yeah. and uh, again, yeah. countless dollars just on all sorts of other stuff. And would you, you know, being in this business for a long time, um, you know, there are great companies out there that that cater to Madison Avenue and they cater to the the the, the sort of core New York agencies, right? The big ones, and and they kind of made products for politics, but it wasn't a great fit. And so really what happened in politics was there's a lot of entrepreneurial spirit and innovation. And that really emerged over the past couple of years where it's, you know, the products that these other organizations are offering aren't great. Why don't we just go out and build our own and and build so, you know, for our segment? You know, you, you that's really been happening. And there's a lot of innovation on both sides of the aisle, by the way, uh, which is a great thing to see. Absolutely. Innovation is uh, always wonderful. So um, what recommendations do you have for our our audiences um, as they try and navigate all these trends and provide the biggest positive impact for political advertisers that they're working with? Uh, how do you, you help know, somebody you know, at, a, at the station level here? You know, one thing I would say is it's important to follow what's going on. It's really important, not politically, but like on the business side in your markets, mm-hmm. because yeah, there's going to be nine billion dollars spent, but like five states are going to get most of the money. And if you're right. in one of those five states, you want to be really prepared because there's going to be a tremendous opportunity that sits in front of you to capture those dollars, to capture the ad revenue. Um, and so, you know, if you're in California or Florida or Pennsylvania or Ohio or Michigan or Wisconsin, Arizona, you're going to get a good portion of this. So be prepared, be ready. Um, make sure you understand what's happening uh, in terms of cross media, like how are your competitors pricing? Uh, what are these campaigns looking for? And make sure that you're, you know, you're going to you're going to sit right in the in the in the you're going to position yourself properly to, to really, you know, uh, collect as much as you can in terms of revenue while the opportunity exists. And remember that. What you see is, again, it's a it's a big map. There's a lot of money, but again, it will be concentrated. And and on top of that, we see that 60 percent of these dollars are spent between nine one and Election Day. Mm, wow. And we've seen so much in the um, in the primaries. Uh, we've seen three point four billion already. So if that is just the quote drop in the bucket compared to what will actually be the total number, uh, do you expect that pattern to stick? in this midterm election year, or do you expect that we will see the majority of the dollars being spent for the primaries because by the time we get to the general election for the midterms, decisions have already been made along party lines? No, the general will be much larger. The primaries themselves, you know, you have these different dynamics that play out in the primaries. Um, Like, you know, I went back, so in 2020, right, okay, we had predicted there would be $7.6 billion going to be spent in the 2020 election. We were off by $1.4 billion. Well, why? Well, why did we get that wrong? Why were we light? 
And, you know, you have billionaires that can walk in and spend hundreds of millions. You had this in the primaries this year, too. You can't predict that. Um, you know, J.B. Pritzker is not to single out anybody, but he's spending a lot of money on his reelect. And we, that was something we didn't see, because when you go look at the ratings, that is a safe Democrat seat. But he's spending a lot of money on his reelect. Um, you know, mm-hmm. that's, again, something we couldn't really predict. Uh, we couldn't predict um, that Oz and McCormick were going to go so hard and spend mm-hmm. A lot of money on that Pennsylvania primary it was Ohio. We thought we knew it would be contentious, but we did. Pennsylvania was really, really big. Again, you had rich people show up, can write 10, 20 million dollar checks, don't need the donor base. Here we go. And so that that so that was you saw that play out in the primaries. That's why they were so big in the general. It's a whole different story because now wow. you're fighting for control in Washington. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so expanding beyond p- politics just a little bit, because you also mentioned something else earlier that your company is you're now tracking more than just political ads. Um, so it sounds like a whole lot of different verticals, and you're tracking spending as well as um, creative. Or tell us a little bit more about uh, as of seven one hot off the presses, um, what the company is doing now, and and where you see your company in the future at in terms of ad tracking and, and better data um, and intelligence for marketers to make better decisions? Yeah, so we're tracking now across connected. We moved into um, connected devices, streaming devices. Uh, we, we moved into um, uh, tracking local cable. And then, of course, uh, broadcast we've been tracking for some time now. So we've expanded that out, right? Why? Because when you look at the data sets, you know, it's roughly half. So if you detect an ad and you're detecting and your and your um, data is coming back on on just straight linear. Well, you're actually only getting about 50 percent of the of the actual detections because others are running on CTV. Others are running on local cable. So, you know, if you're going to give your client, your customer the best possible product, you want to enrich that and give them as much out of current state as possible because then they can make better decisions. So, you know, that really drove uh, us sort of pushing uh, uh, beyond um, just linear. So that's one thing. And then and then the other thing is because of the way that we've built our platform, well, we can detect anything. And so we're detecting a, a, everything from automotive to telecommunications across 20 different advertising verticals and 320 sub verticals so and that yields about you know it's you're you're now um you're now um in the billions and billions of rows of data uh every week in terms of because there's just so much advertising activity out there it's really incredible very interesting go ahead mitch please kyle um what about acr data a lot of companies are talking about the use of ACR data. How about you? So, yes, uh, we are using ACR data in order to um, run our detection right now, which so and I had talked earlier about just the great opportunities that sit out in front. And so when you have detection at a household level, um, think of Mitch, you know, this all the all the opportunities that, that presents, right? Attribution. Uh, unique reach, incremental reach, just all these great things now. And so as we collect, we can start to build out the next set of tools on top of that. But yes, the foundation of that is ACR. 
Thank you. And thank you for that question. And thank you, Kyle. I think this is a great place for us to pause. We have learned so much. I cannot thank you enough, Kyle, for being here today. Um, I enjoyed our conversation. I learned a ton. I think our listeners did as well. Also, Mitch, thank you so much, as always, for being such a wonderful co-host. Um, and lastly, to our audience, thanks for tuning in. Be sure to check out future BIA podcasts, where we will continue to bring industry insights and thought leaders such as Kyle straight to you. And if you have any ideas of something you'd like us to cover, feel free to let us know. You can send us an email at podcast at BIA.com. Um, Kyle, again, thanks for being here, and I hope everybody has a great day.